You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. From CAFE and the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is Stay Tuned in Brief. I'm Preet Bharara. Last Tuesday, Kevin McCarthy was ousted as the Speaker of the House of Representatives after fellow Republican Representative Matt Gates introduced a motion to vacate the Speakership. This is a historic moment. McCarthy is the first Speaker to ever be removed in such a fashion, and his exit has highlighted the intense fissures in the GOP and the larger tensions in Congress. Joining me to discuss these issues is John F. Harris. He is the co-founder and global editor-in-chief of Politico, and he's written extensively about the dysfunctional McCarthy speakership in his Politico Altitude column. John, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Preet. So let's, let's go back to when Kevin McCarthy became the speaker, and others have suggested, and you have also suggested, that the seeds of his own destruction were sown at the time he became speaker. What do you mean by that? Well, in order to win the speakership and recall that it took 15 votes, he had to trade away a lot of the authority that uh, speakers traditionally have. You know, in the old days, that was a really, really powerful position. And I would say we have to tip our hat also to Nancy Pelosi, because even in this uh, era of a less governable house, she exerted quite a lot of authority uh, through the strength of her personality. No Republican has been able to do this for a generation now. Uh, It's such an unruly uh, House Republican conference. And the nature of the institution has changed so profoundly that the old days of, look, I've got uh, control over what committees you sit on. I've got control over fundraising. I've got control over whether you're influential or you're just a ghost at the back of the chamber. Um, No speaker has held that kind of authority. Uh, But even the remnants of uh, that kind of authority, Kevin McCarthy effectively traded them away to actually win the speakership on the 15th vote back in January. Uh, He traded away his influence on the Rules Committee and and basically advertised to the world that um, he was vulnerable, that uh, at any time a, a small number of Republican votes could dethrone him. And that's exactly what happened. In some sense, he was never really speaker, except he had the title. Uh, he had nothing like the historic power that we associate with this office. So why now? Um, was this because of the argument over the shutdown of the government or something else? Or was it a combination of things? 
pre my own view is that was just a pretext. This was uh, going to happen in due course. I think, as you said, the seeds were laid in the ground back in January. And uh, at some point, this was going to happen. Now, the pretext or the, the precipitating event was, of course, the uh, deal that uh, Kevin McCarthy took to avert a government shutdown uh, last week. And that allowed uh, Matt Gates and the others who have been critical of Speaker McCarthy to say, see, we told you he's not really a true conservative, at least in the modern incarnation of that word. And uh, let's dump him. Now, in, in fairness to McCarthy, 210 Republicans uh, stayed with him. You know, it was just a handful that were able to join with uh, with Democrats to oust him. But that showed just how precarious uh, his position always was. As I say, um, his speakership was effectively an optical illusion. He never really had it. Speakership was effectively an optical illusion. I kind of, I kind of like that. What was the motivation for... I know we've talked about it, but I, I want to understand it better. The motivation for the seven other Republicans to get rid of McCarthy, knowing it's going to throw the caucus into turmoil, knowing it's going to, hopefully knowing, or presumably knowing, it was going to weaken the caucus vis-a-vis -vis the Democrats. What's really in it for them? Well, of course, there's an ideological component, and anybody who's trying to um, um, defend their actions is, is going to uh, assert that they were on principled grounds. I, I think you have to say that uh, really this was personal animus. Certainly, Matt Gates had not disguised his personal animus. He effectively wanted uh, McCarthy's antlers on the rec room wall, uh, and he got them. The others, I don't think it was uh, necessarily uh, uh, quite it's fair to describe it as a, a fit of personal pique, the way it might be. Uh, that might be a fair description of Matt Gates's motivations. But I don't think you can understate the lack of respect that Kevin McCarthy holds among the most conservative members of, of the House Republican caucus. And that would include a lot of people who are in the 210. They just see him as a strictly transactional politician. They don't see him as uh, guided by him. Um, Convictions really of any sort other than his personal survival. And uh, they just see him as a transactional figure. And, the, and I think it's not, uh, doesn't go too far to say that they, they feel contempt toward him. Well, that seems to be something about which there's bipartisan consensus. Democrats kind of despise him for the same reason. At least some of them do, right? Precisely. And, you know, it's in some moods, you can have a certain. Um, amount of sympathy uh, for Kevin McCarthy. Like, hey, you know, you try doing a job when at any given time, uh, just a small handful of members can throw you out of it. Uh, I, I'd say the sympathy is really uh, limited when you look at Kevin McCarthy's own actions in the period leading up to his uh, speakership and while well, having it. Uh, if he was really trying to um, build bridges of any kind, uh, you know, he certainly wouldn't have uh, uh, backed the, the conservatives in trying to impeach Joe Biden. He certainly wouldn't have taken the opportunities as he did to sort of practice the sort of most flagrant uh, partisan combat with Democrats. So, so he has zero reservoirs uh, of sympathy. I think it's notable that not a single Democrat said, hey, you know what, we're better off uh, with order in the House rather than chaos. And uh, certainly, if it has to be a Republican, I'd rather have it be Kevin McCarthy than somebody else. No one said that. Right. No so one explain, thinks that. Explain that because there was some speculation that some Democrats would vote that way. All it would have taken is a small handful of Democrats to save Kevin McCarthy. And now the Democrats can get someone that they'll have to deal with who will be more conservative and more intransigent, no? 
they'll be different. <laughs> I yeah. don't know that they, uh, you know, we're going to have to see. I don't want to make those predictions. That's certainly one possibility. Um, but I, one does have the sense of the house kind of uh, taking a, an emetic of sorts, right? The, you know, like what you take when you swallow poison, you can swallow the syrup and, and heave it up um, with apologies for kind of a vulgar word picture there. But one does sense that's what's happening. The house is retching and, and they retched up Kevin McCarthy. So it's possible that there's something Something more like uh, certainly not civility or cooperation, but uh, normality could emerge from this. What's the fate of Matt Gates? There had been discussion that there could be something emanating from an ethics review of him, and I guess the McCarthy people or McCarthy himself was suggesting that Matt Gates could be ejected from the House. Is he completely safe now? Oh, I wouldn't say that. Mm. Um, you know, just as uh, Matt Gates wanted Kevin McCarthy's uh, antlers uh, up on the wall, there's plenty of people who would like to see Matt Gates's antlers up on the wall. And um, uh, there's plenty of people hunting for him. I don't, as near as I can tell, and I don't, um, haven't spent a lot of time around Matt Gates. I had spent some time with, around Kevin McCarthy. Um, I don't think Matt Gates cares. He's uh, an anti-institutionalist. He's somebody who has learned the politics of contempt uh, from closely watching uh, former President Donald Trump. And um, in his own way, he's as transactional a politician as Kevin McCarthy is. He does face an ethics review. We don't really know the status of that. Um, we do know that he's quite interested in running for Florida governor. And if that's his aim and really uh, stimulating a hardcore conservative base is his uh, perceived pathway to getting the Republican nomination, he's probably played his cards uh, rather effectively in this. How do you think Hakeem Jeffries, the Democratic leader, conducted himself and managed the caucus in all of this? Well, uh, as we discussed, uh, zero Democrats voting to help um, Kevin McCarthy out, even as some initially were were wondering, uh, you know, that scenario you described earlier, hey, wouldn't we be better off to, uh, doing some deal making? Minority Leader Jeffries said, nope, we're not doing that. And I think it was notable in one of his very early tests of his ability to unify the Democratic caucus. Uh, he, he succeeded uh, perfectly, no dissenters. Uh, so I think that's a, a fairly favorable sign um, early about his ability to, to to manage the Democratic conference. Now, can we talk about one hypothetical? Absolutely. Politicians say I never answer hypotheticals, <laughs> but I'm not a politician. I love talking about you, hypotheticals all day. You said you didn't want to make predictions, so hypotheticals are <laughs> slightly different. I suppose it's a certain species of, uh, of prediction, isn't it? Sure. And I speculated about this before the midterms, and I think people weren't taking it seriously enough. I now don't think it's really on the table, but we'll talk about it for a moment anyway. And the, the possibility that there will be a movement in favor of Donald Trump, the former president, becoming Speaker of the House, because the rules of the House don't require... Uh, the speaker to be a member, there is this rule, Rule 26, that some people say would bar Trump because mm -hmm. he's indicted in multiple places. And there's a rule that the House has. I don't know if it's a Republican rule. I think it is a Republican rule rather than a House rule. Yeah. That if you are a member, if you're a member of the House and you've been indicted for a crime that could be punishable for, for more than two years, you have to step aside from leadership. So discuss the possibility of Trump as speaker. Well, it's a certain fantasy that... Um 
some Republicans clearly hold. I'm with you, Preet. I don't think it's uh, actually the the most uh, plausible scenario. The reason I don't think it's the most plausible scenario, among several reasons I don't, is uh, it would be an awful lot like work. And I'm not sure Donald Trump really wants to do that kind of work. Uh, running the House, uh, even in a kind of symbolic way, I suppose. Um, but it's an awful lot like work and uh, not the kind of work. Uh, it's not that President Trump doesn't uh, uh, enjoy doing work, but he likes basically doing uh, uh, Trump-related work. And uh, not trying to do the hard work of uh, of um, keeping this unruly uh, caucus organized, I'd be a little surprised if that job at the end of the day was attractive to him. But I will say, uh, well, I'll say two things. One, there's a certain elegance to the idea. The fact of the matter is Donald Trump is the leader of the Republican Party and no one else is. Obviously, Kevin McCarthy wasn't. I don't think Mitch McConnell really is. I don't think any of the other people vying for the Republican nomination, not really breaking through, are. Donald Trump runs the Republican Party. So why not just acknowledge that? In in a sense, there would be a certain elegance to um, uh, that scenario you describe. Uh, and the other thing I would say, the reason I'm kind of careful about my predictions, pre is that uh, anybody uh, running the tape would know that so many of them don't come true. So this would be a totally outlandish, surprising scenario, but we've had no end of outlandish scenarios that have actually played out over the past uh, seven, eight years. Uh, so maybe this would be another one. I don't discount it entirely. Well, more likely candidates include Representative Scalise and Jim Jordan, how do you think they will fare in balloting and who has the advantage, if anyone? You know, I do tend to think that Steve Scalise has the um, a slight leg up precisely because the Republican conference up on Capitol Hill is so disorganized. They're they're so angry with one another. They're, they're so rudderless. He's not in great health. Of course, he's got the aura around his uh, uh, reputation. Unfortunately, he was a victim of, of uh, gun violence a couple of years ago at a, at a, a house softball practice uh, in Alexandria, Virginia. He might be the kind of person that the conference could say, look, let's unify around Steve Scalise and stop fighting. And, um, you know, he, given his age, given his health, might not be in the job that long anyway. So let's just give it to Steve and move on. Um, and, and anyway, that that's kind of the scenario that I'm betting on, but not with any special confidence. Do you think Jim Jordan has a shot, though? I mean, he might because it is uh, uh, President Trump's know. party, and uh, <laughs> he is the person that's most uh, of those candidates is most allied with uh, the Trump brand of uh, conservatism. Okay, well then, describe what a Jim Jordan speakership would look like. I think what it would do is take Trump-style politics and uh, that we're very accustomed to now in the presidential context and inject it firmly into the House. Uh, I think it would be. Uh, kind of nonstop uh, partisan combat in a, in no a legisl- very... No legislation. I wouldn't think so, no. Um, and, you know, the math is math, Preet. Like, they, he doesn't math have... Math is math, a, yeah. um, He doesn't have any greater margin than um, Kevin McCarthy did. Uh, and so I really think until, you know, the, the election's a year from now, 13 months from now, we're going to have an effectively ungovernable House. Uh any switch of just a couple of votes means that there is no speaker. Back to McCarthy for a second. Is there anything he could have done differently to save himself? I've been pondering that, and um, I'm um, not sure that there is a good answer to that. He never would have become speaker, most likely back in January, without making those uh, 
compromises that he did. They were effectively fatal compromises. They almost guaranteed this outcome. I suppose that if he had been kind of more consistent from the beginning uh, in signaling that, um, look, I'm going to be running the House around a governing agenda, which means occasionally I'm going to be trying to seek bargains with the um, uh, with the Biden White House. Uh, I'm not going to be expressing uh, kind of open contempt toward Democrats uh, uh, through pursuing the uh, impeachment of President Biden, for example. It's possible that um, he might have commanded enough grudging respect from both people within his own party and from Democrats that there would have been more of a kind of inherent sympathy, like, look, you know, I don't like all of Kevin McCarthy's choices, but I do fundamentally respect that he's doing, making these choices in a principled way. I guess if you could imagine the last nine months, if he had sort of fashioned that reputation, but um, it's the exact opposite of what he did. And I think it's the opposite of who he is. Um, he is simply not somebody that uh, commands respect, fear, deference from either party. The chaos in the House Republican caucus, does that say anything about the larger Republican party? Or is it confined to the House? Well, it says everything about the larger Republican Party, doesn't it? It's Donald Trump's party. He's interested in uh, tribal politics. He's interested in the politics of contempt. He's not really interested in fashioning a a governing agenda. Uh, At least there's not been a lot of evidence lately of that. And uh, the chaos in the House is a reflection of a party that is virtually impossible to lead by anyone but him. That's fair enough. John Harris, thanks for joining the show. Thank you. For more analysis of legal and political issues making the headlines, become a member of the Cafe Insider. Members get access to exclusive content, including the weekly podcast I host with former U.S. attorney Joyce Vance. Head to cafe.com slash insider to sign up for a trial. That's cafe.com slash insider. If you like what we do, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. Send me your questions about news, politics, and justice. Tweet them to me at Preet Bharara with the hashtag AskPreet. You can also now reach me on threads, or you can call and leave me a message at 669-247-7338. That's 669-24-PREET. Or you can send an email to letters at cafe.com. Stay Tuned is presented by CAFE and the Vox Media Podcast Network. The executive producer is Tamara Sepper. The technical director is David Tatashore. The editorial producer is Noah Ozilai. And the CAFE team is Matthew Billy, David Kurlander, Jake Kaplan, Nat Wiener, Namata Shah, and Claudia Hernandez. Our music is by Andrew Dost. I'm your host, Preet Bharara. Stay tuned.